Well, tonight's topic is resetting finances. Um, it's interesting when I do this with potential uh, couples that want to get married and they come in, you know, and you go through the role of husband, the role of wife, and uh, communication, and foundation, and all the stuff we do. And uh, when you get to finances, and it can be kind of uh, a little tense, you know, a little bit sometimes, you know, because we all have to deal with finances, and we have a young a couple that want to get married and usually ask that you know can the husband take on a wife and uh, it's it's always an interesting session when we meet in that area so tonight resetting finances Genesis 2:25 tells us a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife and they shall become one flesh God's purpose for marriage is that a husband and wife are to become one. And included in becoming one in marriage is the whole aspect of becoming one when it comes to our finances. And like I, when, I, when we meet with a potential couple that wants to get married, one of the first questions we ask them are, are you going to combine both your finances together? And it's an interesting question, and you, know, you have two independent people that have been you know, on their own all this time, and all of a sudden, they, you'll see where they're coming from. If they're willing to become one. I ran into a, a guy last weekend here at the church, and he was talking, he goes, hey, next week's marriage ministry, he goes, Finances. He goes, my wife and I, we, we keep our finances separate and uh, it works. I said, okay, that's, that's good, but you're missing the oneness that is supposed to happen as part of marriage. And uh, I found that kind of interesting. Um, but the answer to that question reveals a lot about the couple's commitment to the marriage. As a husband and wife, when it comes to our possessions and our attitude towards finances and our use of finances, we are to become one flesh. And I know it's easy to say, but to bring it to pass is another thing. It's hard for many to implement this. In marriage, you have two different ideas about finances sometimes, many times. For instance, one may think that money is very important and the other doesn't think it's that important. One spouse may think that they should put away money for the future, and the other one does not want to think about the future. Let's just trust the Lord for that. <laughs> one spouse may like to spend more freely on vacations and entertainment and activities, or might be an emotional spender, while the other thinks that they should make be more cautious and practical. And that the awesome thing is uh, the Lord gives us that balance. You have, even though you may have that, a lot, the Lord will use that for us to be in balance with each other. And we, you know, if we're one, we're going to help each other. We're going to draw from each other in those types of things. Sometimes a husband might feel that he should always 
be at work, making money, working overtime, and, and all that he can. And a wife might feel that it's more important to spend time with her and the children. And you got to be careful with that too. I mean, if there's overtime and the Lord gives you that, that's awesome. But I, I've seen in my experience that a lot of guys, that area of work sometimes for guys becomes their their domain and they feel, you know, I, I can control this and I can handle this. And they like being around that, especially if they're a supervisor type or a manager type. And you've got to be careful you're not neglecting your family. One spouse feels that they should get a new car, and the other thing, one thinks, hey, the one we have runs great. Let's keep running it. It runs just fine. A wife may think that they need a new bed or a living room set, while a husband is content with the one they have since they first got married, you know. <laughs> the mattress is all bone. <laughs> when we first got married, you know, I think I bought a whole bedroom set for 300 bucks. Everything. It was just at this little Asian uh, furniture store, and it was all pressed board wood, you know. And, you know, I was happy and just so excited that I us a bedroom set, you know, and, and this thing fell apart, you know, it was, we were always having to put, yeah, <laughs> clamp it and wood glue and all that, and then the boys came and they just destroyed the bed, I mean, they just bounced right off the thing, and, but you know, that was the time we were at, and it was awesome, and we were excited about that. Um, but there's many times couples have differing views on financial priorities, that's the point here. And sometimes an influence on how a person views finances can come from the home life that they were raised in. And for Gloria and I, we're blessed because we both came from poor families, so <laughs> it wasn't an issue for us. Um, finances, though, can be a cause of stress. Marital conflicts, it can cause division many times. But it has to be faced. As married couples in Christ, we have to grow in unity in all areas of marriage, including our finances. It's part of our Christian walk, like any other area that we are to develop in, that we're to grow in, that we're to mature in. And we must be careful not to take on the world's wisdom on, or principles on finances and end up in all kinds of financial stress and, and problems in our marriages. A lot of Christian marriages are stressed out and in trouble because they have failed to obey God's word when it comes to finances. And that's the awesome thing is that God has given us all we need on finances in his word. We just got to seek it and obey it. The answer is having the same biblical commitment towards finances in our marriage. And when we both align ourselves with what God's word says about finances, it will produce unity in our marriage. It's not to be done just because it produces unity, but that's what God wants from us. That's obedience to His Word. God's principles on finances are not a set of, a, a dictatorial set of rules that He wants us to, to use to control us. That's not our Lord. He's a loving Father who wants to impart His wisdom because He loves us. Us to direct our lives and give us, he doesn't want to see his, his people all messed up in finances. 
And as an act of his love, God has not left us alone to deal with our finances. The Bible, like I said, it gives us all the guidelines we need. Our prayer is that you will be challenged to search and obey God's principles concerning finances and that you will leave here tonight with some biblical principles and, 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 and a renewing for the renewing of our minds. And that you would allow God to minister to you in these areas. And if need be, be open to make those changes where he shows us it's necessary. And as believers, we, we have to see the whole picture through God's eyes. Sometimes you got to look at, at the whole picture through God's eyes. Remember, He's in control. Remember that whatever happens, God will allow it to happen or not to happen. And we have to stand on His promises. Philippians 4.19 says that He will supply all our needs according to His riches and glory in Christ Jesus. He will never leave us nor forsake us. He will meet our needs. And like I said, Gloria and I, we, we don't come from families that we can lean on, that we can, you know, draw from. And we've seen God take care of us through all the years. But that doesn't mean that we can do whatever we choose, be irresponsible, and then expect God to meet our needs. He has specific guidelines and principles that if we apply them, no matter what happens in our economy, God will take care of us. So tonight, we're going to look at some principles on, uh, from God's Word on finances. And these principles include, number one, everything we have belongs to God. Number two, God is the one who gives us the ability to earn a living. Number three, we are to be good stewards. Number four, we are to prayerfully plan. And number five, we are to worship God in tithes and giving to others. So first, everything we have belongs to God. Psalm 24, 1 says, The earth is the Lord's and all its fullness, the world and those who dwell therein. First Chronicles 29, 11 and verse 14 tells us, Yours, O Lord, is the greatness, the power, and the glory the victory and the majesty for all that is in heaven and in earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord. You are uh, exalted as head over all. And then verse 14 of First Chronicles 29 um, says, But who am I and who are, who are my people that we should be able to, to offer so willingly as this? For all things come from you and you and of your own, we have been, we have given you. So God owns everything because He is the Creator of the universe. It's all His. And secondly, God is the one who gives us the ability to earn a living. Turn to Deuteronomy chapter eight, Deuteronomy eight, ten to nineteen. <coughs> I love this passage. Deuteronomy 8, 10-19. It says, When you have eaten and are full, then you shall bless the Lord your God for the good land which he has given you. And then he says in verse 11, Beware that you do not forget the Lord your God by not keeping his commandments, his judgments, 
and his statutes which I command you today. Lest, when you have eaten and are full and have built beautiful houses and dwell in them, and when your herds and your flocks multiply, and when your silver and your gold are multiplied, and all that you have is multiplied, when your heart is lifted up and you forget the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage. Who, uh, verse 15 says, Who led you through the great and terrible wilderness in which were fiery serpents and scorpions and thirsty land where there was no water. Who brought water for you out of the flinty rock. Who fed you in the wilderness with manna when your fathers did not know that he might humble you and that he might test you to do, to do you good in the end. He says, and then there's another warning, verse 17. Then you say in your heart, my power and the might of my hand have gained me this wealth. And you shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you power to get wealth, that he may establish his covenant, which he swore to your fathers as it is this day. Then it shall be if you... By any means, forget the Lord your God and follow other gods and serve them and worship them. I testify against you this day that you shall surely perish. So God gave the people a reminder of that day. And this is to be a reminder for all of us that God not only owns it all, but he is the one who gives us the health, the energy, the wisdom, the knowledge, and the skills in order to make a decent living. And this is totally opposite of the world's view. Of many in the world who say, I made it on my own. I'm a self-made man. And that attitude is dangerous. Because if we think we are the owners of something... We will begin to use it like we think we want to use it. When we take God out of the picture, when we go ahead of him, when we think we're the ones that have done this, we, you know, I, I have the personality, I have the skill. It is God who's given us all that. It is God who's given, him, given us all that. 1 Corinthians 4, 7 says, For who makes you differ from another? And what do you have that you did not receive? Now if you indeed receive indeed receive it, why do you boast as if you have not received it? So when we acknowledge, when we live with the awareness that it's all the Lord's, and that He's given us the ability to earn a living, that is a safeguard. It is a great safeguard against getting into trouble with our finances. But it's something we have to discipline ourselves. It's something we have to be mindful of. It comes down to our walk with the Lord. Another principle um, is that we are to be good stewards of what we have. Everything we have, God has given to us, and he's the owner of it all. He created everything, but we are to be good stewards of it. And we're all stewards of something. We're going to be either a good steward or a bad steward. And we can take the principle from Luke 16.10, which says, He who is faithful in what is least or very little is also faithful in much. And what's it saying is that we're to be good or faithful stewards, and even in the smallest of anything. And when we are good stewards in the little, then we will be faithful good stewards in the greater amount. And this principle applies to many areas of our walk. 
including our finances. And a steward is someone who manages something for someone else. So God is the owner, and we are his managers. And we are God's money managers, whether he gives us a few dollars or whether he gives us many dollars. And we're to manage our finances prayerfully and wisely, not as we think we should do it, but as God in his word has led us to do it. So we're to be good stewards of all we have because it all belongs to God. And we are responsible to manage faithfully money because it's all His. And there's so many ways to implement being a good steward of our finances. It's, it's the dollar, but it's also more than that as well. But a good place to start is to acknowledge that God is the owner of everything and we are His managers. To just acknowledge that and then function from there. And we, when we do this, we'll be able to make decisions based on what the owner has told us to do. And we can include the Lord, the owner, in our financial decisions if we were to just to ask him, Lord, would this be an act of disobedience if I bought this? Or, Lord, would you want me to have this? Or is this something in keeping with your will for me or for my family? Is this something that's really necessary right now? Do we really need this item? You know, I've, I've used this principle here about asking and seeking the Lord in that, like, at Christmas time when I, you know, go buy glory or Christmas gift or something, and uh, the ladies at some of these stores think, nuts, because I'll walk away, and I'll leave, and I'll ask them to fold it, and I'll come back, and I'll look at it again, and then... Uh, <laughs> back, you know, and their heads are kind of like, but I was like, Lord, is this what I should do? Is this, you know, and I've done that, you know, and many times I'll come back, but they just think I'm crazy. A lot of times someone will see something and just out of emotion without even considering the cost down the line if they want it. Emotional spending. So, including our Lord in spending and making financial decisions, it's a discipline like any other area of our walk with the Lord. And then, when we do exercise discipline in any of the areas of our walk, it's evidence that we do have a relationship with the Lord and we care about growing in our walk with Him in those areas, and that includes our finances. So, we need to ask the Lord to guide us in the small decisions as well as the large ones. We need to ask Him. Close the doors if this is not your will to buy something, especially if it's a major item like a house or a car or starting a business. We need to include the Lord saying, Lord, would you have this? And be willing for him to close the door because he might be protecting us from something. And we have to be willing to let him dictate to us what is the best and most wise way to, to move forward. But we can very easily become irresponsible and bad stewards when we don't seek him before spending, before making those decisions. And we have to be careful of that emotional spending. If we include the Lord, we will avoid overspending and avoid a lot of financial problems. Another aspect of being a good steward is taking care of what God has allowed us to have. Remember, everything belongs to him. That includes our house, our car, our clothes, everything that we have. Is our home and our yard clean? Are we a good steward of that? Is it is it an organized home or is it a disorganized maze of stuff? Is there a decent order to our home? 
Can we find what we need when we need it? Is our yard the worst one in the neighborhood and thereby being a bad witness? Do we take care of our furniture and, our, and, and the appliances that we use? Do, do you know, <laughs> you know that you can break a washing machine? <laughs> I would always thought it's just a machine, but you can break a washing machine by, by not being careful how you load your laundry, what you load it in. And it's crazy. You can break a washing machine. <laughs> but if we take care of what we have, we will eliminate that need to always having to be replacing these things. And if we're always having to replace them because we're being a bad steward, we're breaking them, we're being a bad steward. Also, we're to teach our children to care, take care of what they have. Don't let the kids jump all over the furniture and destroy the house and the furniture. Don't let them trash the house and the car. Teach them to pick up their toys, their clothes, their dishes. If a child is old enough to walk, they're old enough to pick up their toys and implement daily chores that are age appropriate to your kids. When we do that, we're teaching our children good stewardship and to be organized and keep the house in a clean and decent order. And, and we're teaching them some very important financial principles through everyday life. And as we do that, not only are we being a good stu steward of our home, but we're teaching our children that same financial wisdom. And these are just a few ways of being a good steward, but God has given us so much. There's just so many ways that we can just take care of what we have. On the flip side is being a bad steward. If we buy something and we never use it, it's bad stewardship. And this can happen not only for our own purchases, but also what we buy for our children. Do we buy our kids something just because they want it, and then it ends up being tossed away? We can teach them to pray about getting something instead of just giving them everything they want when they want it. And there will be the times that we have to say no to our children. And they're not going to like it, and they'll let you know that very loudly, depending on their age. But we will be teaching them a necessary financial discipline by telling them no. When our kids get everything they want, when they want it, without asking the Lord if it's okay to get something, we're teaching them to be bad stewards. Wasting also is bad stewardship. I mean, again, there's so many places. This, we can begin with the utilities. You know, don't waste electricity. Turn off the lights, the TVs, the gadgets when when you're not in a room. It's just being good stewardship of, of your money on how much you pay on your bills. There, don't waste the water. Turn off the running water if you're brushing your teeth or washing, you know, sudsing the dishes or, you know, put on those shower belts, overhead shower belts, you know, and as you cut off, cut off switch, <laughs> uh, um, you know, and as you lather or shave, turn, turn off the water and... It's really tough using that in the winter. <laughs> but it, it's, again, I mean, we don't have to be legalistic or OCD about it, but it's just, it's just the idea. You guys hear what I'm saying? I'm just taking care of what you have, being careful what you spend, where you spend it. We can save a lot of money if we just make that effort. But, but therein lies the problem. Some don't want to think about it, much less make the effort. And when we have that attitude of the things that God's given us, if it's too much trouble to think about taking care of something, then we're being a bad steward because, again, it all belongs to the Lord. Don't waste food. You know, don't throw away good food. Serve smaller portions, and if you want more, eat more. But 
throwing away good food that can be used for another meal or my husband's lunch tomorrow, that's being a bad steward. So let's just be wise even in, in the food that we use and how we use it. I'm big on reusing disposable, okay? At least at least once. Um, you know, the, the world calls it being green, right? And conserving, you know, there's the reduce, reuse, and recycle. But some call it being cheap, you know? We call it being frugal, but God calls it being a good steward. You know, anything that you can reuse at least once, do it. It's just being a good steward. And we can be good stewards. We should be good stewards whenever, wherever, and however possible. And the whole point is that we're to deal with money wisely and manage it wisely with anything that God has allowed us to have. And, and it should really be second nature to us if we're mindful of God's principle. That we remember that he's the one and he owns it all. And we are his stewards, then we will be good stewards. It will be second nature to us. He'll check our hearts. He will hold us accountable for how we manage what he entrusts to us. And you know what? Your home is going to be blessed for being a good steward. Xavier has been a good example of that here at the church to us because he's always conscious of you know us turning off the lights and, and making sure we we're being frugal and stuff here at the church. You know, we use the toaster oven to the kitchen. He doesn't want them under the cabinet because they can, you know, they tea. You know, just little things that sometimes we don't think about. The other night, Gloria was watering outside, and she forgot. She didn't put a her. She usually puts her on a timer on her phone. moment. And uh, I went outside for something. And I went, wow, man, there's a lot of water in this section here. And I went back in. Hey, Gloria, you finally turned that water off. <gasps> you know, and she. Oh my God, that been on for a while. Better you than So you know it happens, but we try. We try to you know, take care of those types of. Being a good steward of what we have leads to the next principle. We are to prayerfully plan. And prayerful planning is in keeping with God's purpose for our lives. And that includes our money. Uh, when we include God in the planning of our finances, it does a few things. It keeps our money in order. And it keeps our spending from getting out of control. If you think about it, God's a God of planning. He planned creation, mankind, he planned for the redemption of mankind, he planned salvation for people, he plans every detail in our lives. And the only thing that messes it up is our sin and disobedience. Uh, turn to Luke chapter 14. Luke 14, 28 to 31, and, and Jesus gives us a, a, a pattern for planning here. It's not necessarily about finances, but it's a great uh, outline, a strategy for planning. Luke 14, 28, which says, and it's Jesus speaking, he says, For which of you intending to build a tower does not sit down first? And, consider and count the cost, whether he has enough to finish it. Lest, after he has laid the foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king going to make war against another king 
does not sit down first and consider whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000. So in verse 28, our Lord tells us that a wise man first sits down and counts the costs. He sits down and counts the costs. He considers, is what it means. He considers what he's about to do before he does it. And taking that principle, God wants us to plan instead of reacting, which would be the opposite. Looking ahead, how does purchasing this affect us down the line? To count the cost, it means to consider, to calculate, to compute, or to reckon. So taking that principle, how does sitting, considering, and calculating what we're about to do help us? Number one, it protects us from that impulse or emotional bonding. I like it. Ooh, crap. I gotta have it. That emotion. Impulsive buying many times ends up costing you more because you don't take time to look around for the best price or the best quality because you're not comparing it with something else. We've all made that mistake. Considering or calculating also gives us time to check with our spouse. Do you check with your spouse or do you just go get some and say, hey, I bought it or do you hide it in the garage? She won't notice. Do you check with your spouse before buying? Are you accountable to each other? Considering or planning also protects us from losing our priorities. Because if you're impulsive, if you're moving on emotions, you can get your priorities out of whack. And what are our priorities? God first, then our needs our food, shelter, clothing, then our goals, savings, investing, and then fourth, our desires. And our desires is in there. Our wants. God knows the desires of our hearts. He's a, he's a good father. And he'll give you those things that, that you desire. Um, I remember when I left the Greek theater and I came on staff here, it was an adjustment. It was an adjustment for my family. And we had to restructure and redo things differently. And I remember when my, my boys wanted something in, at the store, so I had to tell them no because we were tightening up and it hurt. And, and it, was, it was difficult in that adjustment. But we have seen now that God has given us the desires of our heart and we haven't lacked. And he still gives us those things that we like. It's amazing how it works. I, 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 I can't describe it, but he still meets our needs in that way. If, you know, if you've been through that, you know what I'm talking about. God knows what we desire. Psalm 37, 45. It says, delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust also in him, and he will do it. God knows the desires of our heart. He knows what we want. But he wants us to have our priorities in order. And there's no planning. And there's no considering. We go by what our eyes and our emotions dictate. Instead of considering whether what we're about to buy is really 
needed at that time, or is this the right time to do that? Very important. I keep thinking about that story. You guys have probably heard it about William Randolph Hearst, who was looking for this, this piece of, I forgot what it was for his home, for his castle, and he had his servants go look for it all over the world. And they, and they couldn't find it. It turns out he had it in the basement of the house all this time. He just didn't know he had it. True story. It was just a really expensive, ornate piece of archway or something like that or a door. When we sit, when we consider and calculate, the other thing it does, you guys, is that it gives us hope. Because we're bringing the Lord into the picture. When the Lord is with us, His peace is there. He gives us hope. He, it's possible in the Lord to, to get things done, to, to accomplish something, to look towards something. He's sovereign and He plans. is, is good for his plans are good for us and not for evil. Jeremiah 29. When we sit and consider and calculate, it also protects us from death. Because when we're considering, we're going to, okay, how much is it going to cost? Do I have enough? And when we ask ourselves those kind of questions, it's allowing the Spirit of God to come in and minister to our hearts. To lead us into the right financial decisions. And we all have debt. I mean, there, there's no getting away from debt. Right now, my meter is running at my house if my front porch lights are up. It's going to happen. Uh, we all have some form of debt. Uh, so funny, a lot of the financial things that happened this week. This morning, we're sitting. I'm sitting in the backyard, just uh, reading or something, and I hear all this water rushing, and I look, and it's flowing into my yard from my neighbor's house. They have a swimming pool and something, I know something broke because it was gushing in and it was filling up my whole backyard. So I went to my neighbor and knocked on their door and said, guys, you're, you're, there's a lot of water coming into my yard. And, you know, and they apologized and they got you know, nervous. And I said, no, I'm thinking about you because there's a lot of, that's a lot of money. You know? And uh, we have debt, but debt can get out of hand if you're not taking care of things like that. But when we ask ourselves those kind of questions, how much does it cost? Do I have enough? We're going to protect ourselves. And the Spirit of God can come in and, and, and help us to make those right financial decisions. But debt, you guys, gets out of control when we, we are overextending ourselves. When we have financial obligations that we can't take care of. Debt is a result of a lack of planning, lack of sitting, considering, and calculating. Having that guaranteed way to get out of paying what you owe. Credit cards. Impulsive buying with credit cards will get us in a lot of trouble. I mean, if you think about it, credit cards were not around a few generations ago. My mom, I remember she didn't have a credit card. She had credit at the corner store and at Curdy's department store on Whittier Boulevard. But there was a way to pay this off, you know what I mean? Or you saved up. But now, you have that little plastic card and just boom. And it doesn't seem like money. That's where Satan is, is solid. It doesn't seem like you're using money. But then you get that statement at the end of the month and you what did we do? Hey, who bought this? You know, it's harder to pay with cash. 
typically mean the enemy uses that in a way. So you've got to be careful with that. That is something the scriptures warn us about. Proverbs 6, 1 to 3. My son, if you become surety for your friend, if you have shaken hands and pledged for a stranger, you are snared by the words of your mouth. You are taken by the words of your mouth. So do this, my son, and deliver yourself, for you have come into the hand of your friend. Go and humble yourself, plead with your friend. And that passage is warning against putting ourselves in a position where you're obligated to pay a debt that is more than you can afford or impossible to pay. Psalm 37, 21 says, The wicked borrows and does not pay back, but the righteous is gracious. And the meaning is that the wicked person borrows when they know they can't pay it. When they borrow when they do not have the means to pay it off. Proverbs 22, 7 says, The rich rules over the poor, and the borrower is a servant to the lender. These are but a few scriptures that warn us to stay away from debt. And the day that we live in, the society that we and it encourages them. Credit card, junk mails, all the time come in. And the radio ads. There's that one, love that speedy cash. Crazy stuff. I'm not saying that you can't ever use credit. We all need a reliable car and we'd like to own a home, but the point is making sure that our plan, there's a plan implemented to pay off the credit. It doesn't get away from us. Make sure that we're being wise and we're not going by emotion or blindness and purchases. Here's a couple of basic guidelines for using credit card, credit wisely. Uh, don't make impulsive purchases on credit. See something you would really wait for a while. See something you really like. Walk away from it, like I said earlier. See if you feel the same in a couple of days. Use credit cards for only for planned or budgeted purchases. If you're an impulsive, emotional buyer, leave your credit cards at home. Except when making that planned purchase. Planned or budgeted purchase means you will be able to pay it off when you get the bill. Or you have a plan to pay it off within a certain amount of time. And if there's a plan, if, there, if there's a plan to pay it off, make sure that the monthly payment on a credit purchase will fit the budget. Also, if you found yourself in debt that is out of control, seek godly counsel to help you get out of debt. Speak to someone who will guide you from the scriptures and help you be accountable. And if you're not in this, stay away from it. <laughs> stay away from it. For a young married couple, we always tell these, these potential couples in offices, don't compare. Don't compare yourself. When, when you're a newlywed or you're starting out, don't look at your mom, your dad, your uncle and say, well, we want what they have. And you go get in trouble. And you got to realize how long did it take them to get to where they are. And a lot of times, young married couples, they, they, they just want that so quickly. And they don't, like I said, we, with that $300 bedroom set, I mean, that's where we were. We had our little TV stand and we were happy. We were married. You know, and we, that 
could have gotten out of hand right away. They want the big entertainment center or whatever it is. So you've got to be careful that you don't compare. So calculating helps us uh, to plan for future needs. Keeps us from to use credit wisely and stay out of debt. And sometimes we don't do that. We don't sit. We don't consider. We don't calculate. Because we, there's this weirdness sometimes in our head where we, there's a fear or we just don't want to look at the bottom line. That's not right. you got to face it. you got to look at it. How much do I make? How much do I owe? How long will it take us to get out of debt? And then most important, where is it going? So let's talk a little bit about budgeting. Someone once said that a budget is something everyone should have, but no one wants to have. And why is that? It's probably because a lot of people think budgeting is limiting and it's re restricting their use of money. But really, a, a budget is not. It actually does the opposite. It doesn't restrict us. It frees us, really, to get the most out of our dollar. When we follow a budget, we are more conscious about how and where our money is being spent. And it, that actually gives us more for our dollar. One writer said, a budget is not a master that no one can faithfully serve, but a budget is a servant everyone should have. And so in our home, we set apart a budget and for all the different areas like gas money and groceries and bills and eating out or spending. And if we stick within that budget and we come under in one area, then we have extra money to use in another area, usually eating out. <laughs> our budget is our servant. We usually get our own lunch money for the week. You know, we have our money that I get, she gets it. Gloria always has extra. <laughs> I never do. I'm very frugal. <laughs> But our our budget is our that's her money. That's her money. Sorry. Okay. 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 It's our servant, and it allows us really a flexibility to make adjustments within a budget. Again, if we run out, if we have extra in one category, we can always apply it to another. But if we run out in all our categories, then we have to wait for the next pay period or the next billing cycle. And by doing that, it keeps us from overspending our limit and then getting us into debt. And there are things we'd, we'd like to do, but you know, we just gotta wait for the, Henry wanted to paint some stuff today, but it's like, we gotta wait for the next billing cycle to be able to go out and buy all that paint. And it was a great project he wanted to do, but we'll just wait, you know, another week. And it, it keeps us from overspending our limit. A definition of a budget is a flexible, workable plan for spending money that channels our cash flow into areas and provides the greatest benefit to them. And, and the two key aspects of a budget is flexible and workable. And the whole point of this is that we should have a friendlier attitude towards a budget. When our attitude is not friendly towards a budget, then we're not going to have one. Don't be afraid of having a budget. It is a servant to help us in applying financial wisdom. There's benefits to having a budget. With a budget, we can make the most of our income, and we do become a better steward of what God has entrusted to us. You know, you can have two people with the same amount of income, and the person who sticks to that budget will get more for their dollar because they're spending their money more carefully 
and more effectively, they're picking and choosing where their money goes. They know where their money is spent and they spend it wisely. Where a person without the budget just spends and they really don't know where their money is going and, and they won't get the most for their dollar. They won't have to stop and consider and calculate as the person with the budget. And for some, they're in a budget where they don't have to think twice about spending, much less having a budget, but there is a danger in that. Proverbs 27, 23, and 24 says, Be diligent to know the state of your flocks and attend to your herds. For riches are not forever, nor does a crown endure to all generations. And Proverbs 23, 5 says, Will you set your eyes on that which is not? For riches certainly make themselves wings, and they fly away like an eagle toward heaven. So if you don't have to think about money, the danger is that one day it's not going to be there. It will go unless you're Donald Trump, but it will go away. It won't last forever. And you can't trust in money and riches because it, it, it can be gone in an instant. And then you're, you're not going to know how to survive with having to plan and calculate and consider. But we can't trust in money, but we can trust in the one who will supply all our needs according to his riches as read in Philippians 4.19. God's desires that we draw closer to him in all areas of our walk and it includes our budget and finances and so if we approach a budget with the right attitude we'll be more likely to stick to it if we look at it with that right attitude that it's our servant and have a friendlier attitude and it will benefit us and it will benefit our home it will help us to be more disciplined in our spending and as a result we're going to be better stewards of what god has entrusted to us the last principle is that we are to worship God in tithes and giving to others. Turn to Malachi chapter 3. Malachi 3.10. Malachi 3.10. Go to Matthew, make a left turn, and turn right there. Matthew 3.10 says, Bring all the tithes into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. And try me now in this, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you such blessing that there will not be room enough to receive it. And I will rebuke the devourer for your sins, so that there he will not destroy the fruit of your ground, nor shall the vine fail to bear fruit for you in the field, says the Lord of hosts. A tithe is 10%. Israel had a tithe of their their grain and other animals. And every third year, they also had a, a different tithe on top of that where they would have to give to the orphan and the widow and the stranger as well as the Levites and all the other, in all the Levitical uh, towns. Uh, notice God says in verse 10, try me now in this. God is saying, test me. God puts his reputation on the line by saying that, test me now in this. He wants to prove his faithfulness to us. Notice also that God says that he will pour out a blessing. Doesn't mean that he will give you more money, although he might, but that he will bless you and that you will see him meet your needs. You will see him honor your family. I think this scripture has been taken so way out of whack by, you know, the channel 40 people, you know. Pouring out a blessing, but God will meet your needs. You'll see Him honor your family. 
And we have seen God take care of those who worship God in time. And we've seen those who have been in financial confusion because they don't honor God in that way. They don't worship Him in that way. And verse 8 says that when you don't tithe, you're robbing God. Verse 11 says that He will rebuke the devourer for our sake. God is promising that He will protect what we have left. When we tithe, we participate in furthering His kingdom. And the issue, it's not giving money, but rather do I honor God? My honoring God is having the right to give me direction in my life regarding money. Is God truly Lord of every area of my life, including my finances? And I, 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 I deal with this because it's part of our walk with the Lord, but we don't, here at Calvary Chapel Pasadena, we're not out to try and get people to, we don't push you, we don't do all that. You've heard Xavier say that. Don't give as a cheerful giver. Come back and we'll give it back to you. you know? and, and, and he really means that. But it's part of our walk. It is a big discipline. It, it is how we, you know, we've seen. We've seen single moms that they're walking strongly with the Lord and sometimes they don't know how they're going to make it, but they honor God in that way. And we've seen God meet their needs, even if it's on the last day, you know, that they have to get it. We've seen like those that are just in, always in financial confusion because they don't honor God. Not only does God want us to worship Him in our tithing, but we also worship Him in sharing with others. You know, God doesn't bless us just to hoard it for our own personal benefit. And when we share with what we have with others, we're participating with God in taking care of His people. And God is glorified. God wants us to share with others whether we have a lot or a little. I always think of my mom. My mom didn't have much, but her refrigerator never went dry because she was always giving people food. I was amazed all this to all my growing up because that's the way she was. She liked to bless people with food the way she was able to. First Timothy 6, 17-19 says, Command those who are rich in this present age not to be haughty, nor to trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God who gives us richly all things to enjoy. Let him do good that they, that they be rich in good works, ready to give, willing to share, storing up for themselves a good foundation for the time to come, that they may lay hold on eternal life. Proverbs 11, 24 and 25 says, There is one who scatters, yet increases more, and there is one who withholds more than is right, but it leads to poverty. The generous soul will be made rich, and he who waters will be will also be, be watered himself. It's a crazy principle there, you guys. Take a look at that on your own. 11, Proverbs 11, 24, and 25. There's just an a, 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 a embedded principle there that how God will, where he says that he who waters will also be watered himself. There's that, that thing about having a giving attitude spirit God. God honors that. Xavier likes to use that. I think it's funny the example of don't hold on to the penny and squeeze Lincoln Bible down because you're too squeezing it so tight. God honors our sharing with others, especially with those in need. And sharing it doesn't always have to be money. It's like I say, groceries for your couple or clothing some of the families that have growing kids and your kids are outgrowing. 
furniture stuff that you're not using them on the cribs and stuff like that. You know, that's the body of Christ. Ask the Lord to make you sensitive to those needs of other people. This is where God, we as God's people can help so that God can redeem and devour. So, everything we have belongs to God. God is the one who gives us the ability to earn a living. We are to be good stewards. We are to prayerfully plan. We are to worship God in tithes and giving to others. Are we going to allow God to make those changes in our families, in our, in our marriage, and to mold us? Will we pay heed to what we know God wants us to do? Either obey the scriptures or not. We can always adjust. We can always do better. share with the couples in premarital counseling that our goal at the end of this session, we always tell them our goal is to see couples and families out of debt so that we can be a mighty witness to the non-believer. It's a great testimony. It's a great witness to the non-believer. Whether they see God provide, whether they see God providing for his people in spite of what's going on in our economy. I'm going to close with the wisdom of our in Proverbs 30. Two things I request of you. Deprive me not before I die. Remove falsehood and lies far from me. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food allotted to me, lest I be full and deny you, and say, Who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and still and profane in the name of my God. Let's pray. Father, thank you, Lord, for the wisdom and the insight and the direction and the just, Lord, the care that you show that you give to us through your word regarding finances, Lord. Everything that we need for life is in your word, including that. Thank you, Lord. Help us, Lord. Thank you for providing for each and every one of us, Father, for our families throughout the years, Lord. And Father, today, Father, I'm even blessed. Father, we have shelter, we have food, we have clothing, we have transportation, Lord. Thank you. And give us wisdom going forward in these days. What do you have for us? Show us, Lord. Thank you for every couple here tonight, Lord. We love you. We praise you.